one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is a special edition of the Unplayable Podcast, focusing on the pay dispute between Cricket Australia and the Australian Cricketers Association, which I can happily say is officially over. Yep, before we hear from the Australian and Tasmanian fast bowler Jackson Bird, joining us now is cricket.com.au senior writer Andrew Ramsey, who is a pay dispute expert, having intensely covered this topic for the past couple of months. Rambo, welcome back. I'm sure you're just as glad as the CEOs, the players, and ultimately the fans, that this thing is finally over. Uh, yes, Samuel, uh, it's, hasn't it gone by in the twinkling of an eye too? Like, I mean, <laughs> we were sitting down to talk about an MOU, and the next thing you know, it's resolved and uh, the game goes on. So I think that's terrific. That's uh, Everyone's a winner. We are 34 days past the deadline, remember, but the deal has been struck. Um, you've been across it. Give us the sort of the top line details of the new MOU going forward. Uh, well, I think there's a couple of big winners out of the, uh, the final heads of agreement they signed today, which will then go into the nitty-gritty of the MOU as they uh, negotiate that over the next four to six weeks. But um, certainly women's players, um, there's a significant pay rise for women's domestic and international players. They can share, I think the share of money that they get has gone up from $7 million uh, up to $52 million. Um, so they can become you know, fully professional cricketers. They can focus on the their uh, careers rather than having to scrimp and save. So that's good for them. And grassroots cricket as well gets an injection. I think the players have agreed to put in up to $25 million from their player payment pool. Um, and that's going to be matched by uh, CA looking to uh, trim some administrative costs. Uh, and they're hoping to match that over the term of the agreement as well. So um, good news for grassroots cricket. Every player gets a pay rise. Um, and somewhere in the fine detail of the agreement, the words uh, revenue sharing principle appear. So uh, uh, I think at the bottom, at the end of the day, everyone was celebrating a win from their respective causes. Uh, and we probably won't know who the true winner was until five years' time when we're talking about negotiating the next one. I'm sure you'll Although you'll be talking about that. I'm not sure that I will. <laughs> uh, let's get on to that revenue share model. That seems to be the real sticking point throughout this whole process. Uh, the players said that um, to be partners in the game, they had to have that revenue share model. Cricket Australia were pretty reluctant about having it in the next MOU or the current MOU now because it's so rigid, didn't allow for much flexibility. So now it's kind of a, a modernised one. There's a new term in there, Rambo. So did the, the ACA get what they wanted? Did Cricket Australia get what they wanted or did they find a bit of a middle ground there? Um, I think, well, James Sutherland said uh, in the media conference today at the end of their uh, week of um, intensive negotiations, and didn't it look like they'd been through a week of intensive negotiations? And I don't yeah. think uh, Alistair Nicholson looked that worn out at the end of the 2000 grand final uh, when he was playing on James Hurd, who won the Norm Smith medal. Um, uh, there is revenue sharing in there. Um, he, James said that there's you know, both sides of, you know, probably ended up with not exactly what they wanted, so there's some level of compromise. Um, 
the devil, as James said from the previous iteration of, uh, of an agreement or the terms, that uh, the devil is always in the detail, and I'm not 100% sure what the fine detail is, given that they're still going to work through the MOU as such, but um, certainly the players get a, a share, all the players, men's and women's, domestic and international, get a share of uh, agreed revenue, which I think is up to $459 million over the course of the agreement. Um, and if CA estimates of that are um, come in at around $1.67 billion over the term of the, the agreement, then that works out to about 27.5%, I think, um, which is up from the roughly 25% they got of agreed revenue in the previous model. But, of course, the, the women's players, it's 120 women's players come into the... Uh, the MOU pool for this agreement, so uh, that explains for the, some of the change there. Um, there's also an option for them to get a share of surplus revenue, which I think uh, if surplus revenue above 1.67 billion, they get the players get to share in 19% um, of that, up to a cap of uh, 1.96 billion. I think it is. I'm starting to sound like it's budget night, aren't I? You like the new Laurie Oaks? He's retired. You can be him. People who enjoy numbers are just switching off in their droves. Uh, but yeah, so there is a share of that as well. Um, but as I say, James mentioned that, um, Tim Sutherland mentioned that there was a compromise on both sides. And I guess uh, once the final details agreed to, then um, the amount and the, the level they've had to compromise will probably become more apparent then. Yeah, well, just as you've rattled off a, a series of numbers there, Rambo, just doing. Uh, going back to March when Cricket Australia, they offered the players $419 million. Uh, that was the player payment pool back then. The ACA responded and they made their uh, their intentions very clear. They wanted 22.5% to the players, 22.5% to grassroots and 55% to Cricket Australia. And that, was, that would have netted them $595 million. As it stands today, they're going to get at least $459 million guaranteed and that could go up to about $500 million. So I guess there has been a bit of a compromise there, hasn't there, Remember, There's a 2.5% player performance percentage there as well. There's been a lot of probably little things that, like you said, the devil's in the teeth and we don't know quite yet, but it seems like that middle ground has certainly been met. I guess it'd be a question that the public want to know and media want to know and uh, the perception of this whole sort of saga is who won? Is there a winner, Rambo? I mean, there are, the women obviously have done very well, but is there a, a and grassroots are going to benefit undoubtedly? But is there a, is there a clear cut winner, so to speak? Um, I'm not sure that you, this would be like a boxing that you have to go to a point for the season. I think, um, and I, again, you'd have to look at which how many of the elements that both sides went into the original negotiations wanting to retain or change and see how close to you know, their full uh, ambit claim they've managed to hang on to. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest, who seems to. The Players Association has certainly they sent out a media release that has an 18-point checklist um, that shows that the number of objectives that they went into have been achieved. Um, so certainly from their perspective, they feel like they've had a win. Um, but uh, again, James Sutherland said, they said that at the media conference this, this evening that... Uh, um, this is a very different revenue share model to, uh, or a very different pay model to what they've had in the past and that it does give them some of that flexibility they were looking for. Um, you'd have to think in the, the language, the, uh, the Players Association has been sort of much more triumphalist than Cricket Australia, but maybe um, that's playing to the audience a bit. Uh, so 
I'm not really sure. My research team have got all the, uh, the point scoring cards that will declare a winner in this. And uh, at the moment, I think they're somewhere in Vanuatu. So as soon as I get hold of them and track down those numbers, I'll report back with the winner. Both CEOs, Nicholson and Sutherland, today uh, spoke about the tested relationship between the players and the governing body. Where do you see that as it stands now, Rambo? James Sutherland was pretty confident that by the first ball at the Gabba uh, for that first Ashes test that um, this will hopefully all be forgotten and we can move forward. But it's going to take a little bit of time to repair, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so. And I, I think you know, there's always a way in these industrial relations disputes. Everyone loses a bit of skin on the way through at some point. Um Clearly, some players have been much more outspoken than, than others. Um, Steve Smith spoke on television the other night about the more behind-the-scenes role that he's looked to take in this, um, dealing sort of directly with um, guys like Pat Howard, who obviously is in the front line of that um, administration-player relationship, given his role as high-performance EGM. Um, and so Smith's as he acknowledges, he has to be a more sort of close interface with the CA administrative staff than other members of the team do. So he probably needed to walk a final line and others. Um, some of those who've been pretty outspoken on social media, um, there may be some lingering resentment that exists there. But uh, as we've seen them in the way they play cricket, you know, once you're off the field, uh, you have a drink and you move on, apparently. Um, so... Yeah, they they know where the line is. They can push the line, but they never go over it. And uh, I'm pretty sure that once they're back in the team environment, which is pretty much their second home, and all the familiar faces and the routine settles back down, then uh, I'm pretty sure it'll start looking like it did uh, before all this blew up. How important do you think James Sutherland's role in it was in the end? Uh, he was he sort of left it to Kevin Roberts and and Paddy Howard uh, to do a lot a bulk of the talk before the cut-off date, and then uh, he sort of became more heavily involved after he came back from overseas. Uh, Rambo, it was C- ACA really wanted that face-to-face CEO-to-CEO negotiations. Uh, James last week said that he wants in- he wanted intensive negotiations before potentially calling for arbitration. Uh, it seems like he was the real catalyst to get this thing moving and, and in the end getting it signed uh, a little bit late, but getting it signed nonetheless. Uh, yeah, well, I suppose in the grand scheme of things, it's you know, a month and a bit late. Um, it just seemed longer, especially for those of us who were living it on a day-by-day basis. Um, <laughs> I think uh, it's an interesting one that James it seemed curious that uh, there was this ongoing demand that he get involved. Um, but the message he would have brought to negotiations was the same as the one that was uh, in the hands of the negotiating team that um, Kevin Roberts was leading. So... It's almost like we just want to hear the message from the CEO. I'm not sure how that would have sped up the process at that stage. Um, he did point out today that in the previous iteration, certainly when he's been CEO at Cricket Australia for more than a decade, he hasn't been directly involved in these sorts of negotiations until we're late in the piece of the previous MOUs, and sometimes he hasn't been involved at all. So um, clearly that's a, a change in strategy from... Um, the ACA as to how they believed it should have been negotiated, um, whether this outcome would have been reached uh, at some point down the track without James Sutherland's direct involvement, we'll never know. But um, certainly the, the looming prospect of the, the Bangladesh tour being 
in jeopardy was the one that seemed to focus attention most starkly, um, and that's when this bit of leverage was wielded around. So um, whether that was what brought James into the negotiating rooms or whether once he got there, that was what he identified as the, the pressing issue, um, I guess we'll have to wait for the book. And I don't know who's writing that, but it's not going to be me. A couple more things uh, before we let you go, Rambo. The Cricketers brand, uh, that looks like to have... Uh, to have passed away without making much of a much of a murmur. Uh, I think there's going to be some sort of iteration of it moving forward. But in terms of player IP, Cricket Australia seem to have got most of that back. Uh, the scheduling apparently the players are going to have a bit more say in uh, in terms of that. Uh, there's a new retirement fund that's going to be well improved. The retirement fund is going to be improved, and uh, probably the big thing for a lot of the cricketers, especially those ones who did require loans, Rambo. Um, they're going to get back pay once the new MOU is signed, and that's a big deal. I mean, this MOU is not officially um, has not officially been signed off just yet. That's going to take, as you said, four to six weeks. Plus, the players have to have a vote in the next twenty four hours, but they seem to think that'll go uh, through. But the back pay was a big win uh, for the players, wasn't it? Because uh, I can uh, I can tell you that there are a couple of rookie players and some of the women players who are doing it tough in the past month because. Uh, that salary uh, was all they had to live off and they needed to apply for a couple of loans through the ACA, but now they'll get their back pay and move forward happily. I think the uh, the back pay was identified certainly in the last month after the previous MOU lapsed as a, a non-negotiable for the, the ACA. They said that, that was absolutely set in stone that they would need to be uh, recompensed for the uh, vote they took to down tools and... Um, not trained, or they were training, but not without being paid for it once they became unemployed without an MOU. So um, that looks like it's going to happen once the, as you say, the final MOU is signed up. Um, I understand that players have been sent a fairly lengthy video presentation tonight that explains to them um, the new terms at the, of the MOU, what it all looked like. Um, it's interesting, given that uh, there were previous accusations about sending out videos to players that uh, uh, seem to recall earlier in the process, but um, uh, they will then vote on that in the next 24 hours, and Alison Nicholson said that he didn't seem to think that was that was just a procedural matter, but uh, I don't know if it needs to return a you know, 75% vote to be carried across the line, or it's like a referendum mm. that needs a majority of votes and a majority of states. Who knows? These are one of the things that are uh, mystery will again be revealed in the book. Um, but yeah, there's uh, those issues, uh, like you say, the financial issues. Hopefully that leads a bit of duress on people who were finding it tough. And I think things for a month without salary would be pretty tough on most of us. I, I know that you're probably in a reasonable spot, but some of us would struggle in that situation. The other, the other bits and pieces that, that come into it, um, the retirement fund is something, certainly something that I'd like to keep an eye on. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yes, the... Uh, the stuff will all wash through. Um, I'm assuming that um, most of those bits and pieces that they've um, agreed to now, uh, they say that they've got in scheduling. Um, I think they're going to be setting up a, a new joint um, sort of committee or an advisory group on how the money that's um, delegated to grassroots cricket is invested. So they've got a greater say in that as well. So all those things that they were hoping to get and perhaps were sort of informal in the past when the ACA would be consulted on these matters is now a bit more structured. There's some um, community advisory groups set up, so 
um, maybe that's a good way forward. Before we hear from Jackson Bird about the Bangladesh Tour, which is going ahead now, two tests against the Tigers. Uh, Rambo, you've covered some of cricket's biggest stories, dating back to Bodyline, the Invincibles, World Series cricket, even the 2005 Ashes Series, a more recent one. Where does this one sit in terms of just complexity? I know it's uh, it's been a tough one to cover because of um, just the back and forth between CA and the ACA and the the the, the role of the players and uh, and the unions and um, just the media involvement. I think there was there's been similar sorts of issues. Of course, I was only young, but uh, the original player strike in the 1880s when uh, the Australians demanded a share of a greater share of gate money from a game played at Adelaide Oval, I think it was. Uh, they wanted 50% of the gate taking, which uh, the administrators eventually caved in and gave them. But then they found themselves uh, left out of the team for the next test in Melbourne. Um, as I say, I was only employed back then, yeah. at the turn of the century. So it's a bit sketchy, my recollection of that. But um, I think the difference with this one has been, um, dare I say, it's social media that uh, mm. the players and um, past players and anyone who's got an opinion has been able to publish that and given the, the presence and the profile they have in social media channels that can be quite um, compelling and certainly wields an influence. So I think that's been, so much of this has played out in public and I don't think either party, when they sit down and do a, a debrief of how this all worked out, would be particularly uh, pleased with the way that has run, the commentary of it has run in the in the media and in social media. So I think that's why it's, it's a little more acrimonious a lot of the times there is this um, distrust and feeling but it's normally played out in negotiating rooms and behind closed doors so uh, it's been the big change certainly from the, uh, the 1880s when they would just have to you know, stand on a street corner and bemoan their lot then um, now you can just get on the street corner from you, your nearest NBN portal that's right uh, well we don't have to worry about it anymore Rambo we can worry about the Ashes the Bangladesh Tour the Indian one day and all the cricket this summer uh, are you going to head off to Vanuatu now join up with the research team and start counting those votes or what happens now well I, I, every time I go and try and find them they've moved on somewhere else so I'm, starting to, I'm starting to sense that there there may be a little bit of disharmony here which could be the next dispute that arises um, of course uh, whether we go to mediation arbitration or just straight termination um, will be play out over the next uh, six to eight months but I'm sure uh, as you have been on the previous one you'll be delighted to follow it at every step of the way and I will keep you informed Thank you very much Rambo appreciate it old boy and appreciate your uh, dedication to the pay dispute in the MOU uh, episode I think that was called today at the uh, the press conference between the CEOs uh, appreciate your time mate and we'll speak to you again soon Thank you Samuel bring on the next one Jackson, thanks for coming on the Unplayable podcast. I'm sure you, just like the rest of the country, are glad that the pay dispute has finally come to an end. Yeah, it's um, it's been a long time coming, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's good that I suppose that both parties have agreed to um, move forward with cric- um, cricket for the season, I guess. So um, other boys can now, I suppose, focus on playing a series in Bangladesh and um, yeah, hopefully getting a few wins over there. Now, as you said, the Australian cricket team is, is back on the park, so to speak, and the next series is very soon, later this month, against Bangladesh. There's still one fast bowling spot up for grabs, Jackson. Uh, where do you see yourself in the pecking order at the moment? Yeah, there's obviously one spot left from um, Starkey's 
absent, I suppose. So, um, yeah, I haven't really heard much about um, selection at this stage. So I, I, I'm assuming they'll make a decision this week. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed I do get uh, get the nod. Uh, we're going up to Darwin next week for a pre-season of sort of pre-tour camp um, where we play a three-day game, which I'm playing in. So, um, yeah, hopefully selection goes my way, but out of my hands, I suppose. Now, there was that Australia A tour that was cancelled to South Africa A, uh, and that was going to be a bit of an audition for the final fast bowling spot. Uh, well, completely understandably, you guys stuck together as a playing group and decided not to go, but how much did missing that tour and getting some first-class overs under your belt hurt? Um, yeah, it hurts. I suppose it's always nice to be playing cricket. Um, I haven't played a game of cricket since the warm-up game in the Indian series in about February, so it's been quite a while since I've um, played any competitive cricket, so it would have been nice to suppose get another opportunity to push claims for higher honours, but um, yeah, like you said, it was, I suppose, important from the playing group's perspective that we stuck together with all the other other players and um, I suppose did what's right for that, so um, completely understandable why we didn't go, but yeah, like I said, a bit disappointing that we couldn't go over there and push our claims, but... Um, yeah, that sort of that happens sometimes, I guess. You've been a bit of a, a bridesmaid on Australia's last two uh, tours to Asia and Sri Lanka last year, and then India a couple of months ago. Uh, and despite not playing a test on tour, Jackson, what did you learn? What did you take away from those experiences? Uh, yeah, it's obviously disappointing to go on tours and and not playing. But um, I suppose it could be worse. It could be, I suppose, not on the tour. I guess. So, yeah. um, it's always nice to be in and around the group and being close to playing test cricket um but yeah in those sort of subcontinent conditions i'm probably behind another spinner um i guess so uh, it's, yeah it's obviously disappointing but it gives you an opportunity i suppose to um get a bit of experience over in another another country's conditions um you learn how to bowl with slow slow type of wickets um and you can work on things like reverse swing and all that sort of stuff so it's definitely good for your cricket um but yeah, it is disappointing to be running the drinks. Um, Twelfth man can be a pretty tedious job sometimes. So, um, yeah, there's a few guys that are um, pretty hard to be twelfth man for sometimes. But um, no, nah, it's all good fun, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's good being, I suppose, on the sideline. Um, it's probably, apart from playing, being on the sideline and being twelfth man is probably the next best spot, I suppose. So. Would one of those players be the captain, Steve Smith, because he changes, asks for a, a new set of gloves every three overs? He does change his gloves <laughs> quite a lot. Um, but it's fair enough, he scores the boggle bar run, so... <laughs> he must be doing he, something uh, right. Yeah, no, it's good when um, he's changing his gloves every two overs because it means he's in the zone, and when he's in the zone, um, no one can get him out. So, um, yeah, but you know, sometimes when it's hot, running out gloves all the time... Um, <laughs> got to be on the ball for got to watch every ball of cricket which um i struggle with sometimes i'm not much i'm not a very good cricket watcher so i think when i'm actually playing and i'm in the team i don't actually watch too many balls live so sitting down on the boundary and having to watch every ball of the game can be sometimes more tiring than actually playing in the game (laughs) what's the uh what's the banter like between the squad members who aren't in the playing 11 when you're down there on the sideline you've all got the vests on now you've got a thousand pairs of gloves and bats and shoes and stuff down there. What do you guys talk about when you're watching the game? I mean, is it is it like you said? Is it difficult to pay attention to the the action out um, there in the middle? Yeah, it depends who's doing twelfth man. And if you've got Usman Khawaja down there on twelfth man duties, um, he just tries to wind you up as much as possible, which after <laughs> a few hours can get pretty annoying. So, 
um, yeah, there's not much really that gets spoken about. Um, we speak the whole day, but then if someone was sitting behind us that um, I suppose didn't know anything about cricket, they just would think, what the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> you guys are just talking dribble for the whole day. So that's basically all that involves. A lot of the talk. funny sometimes, but... <laughs> A lot of the talk uh, around Australian fast bowling at the moment is about those big four fast bowlers, Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins and Pattinson, but you've played a lot of test cricket in the past couple of years. Where do you see yourself uh, in that whole picture, in that frame uh, going forward? Uh, I'm sure when they wanted to be talking about a big five and you want to be in that as well. Yeah, um, look, those four fast bowlers you speak of, you know, when they're fit and firing, they're four of the best fast bowlers in the world. So to have them all in the one team is pretty... Um, I suppose it's a pretty special special thing, I guess. So, um, yeah, having those guys in the team, um, there'll be a lot of batsmen in world cricket that'll be pretty worried about that. So, um, you know, when those guys are fit, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely behind all those four. So, um, I'd, yeah, I'd like to think that I'm the fast bowler behind those four. But, um, yeah, I think even... You know, if you're not in the side, you have to be ready to go at all times, I suppose, if, in case there is an injury, which, you know, there often is with fast bowlers. So um, you just got to make sure that when you do get an opportunity, like I did in the summer, that you're ready to go and you're bowling well. And that's all you can do. The rest, I suppose, takes care of itself. Uh, you know, if there is an injury and you're bowling well, hopefully you get picked and you play well. But um, with those four bowlers around, it's it's pretty hard to get a spot in the, the final team because they're four, you know, four of the best bowl, fast bowlers in the world. So... Um, it's a good thing for Australian cricket to have them all fit and firing at the one time, but uh, probably not a good thing for the other bikes <laughs> behind them trying to get into the side. So. Bangladesh are a very formidable opponent these days at home. Uh, it's not going to be an easy tour over there, is it? No, look, they are you know, a strong side. Australia's definitely going to have their work cut out for them. Um, we'll need to play well. Um, I think the Indian tour last, uh, at the start of the year, showed, um, I guess, how much we've improved. Um in the last 12 months, I suppose, in playing cricket in the subcontinent. Um, the Sri Lankan tour last year was disappointing for us, losing 3-0. Um, but, yeah, we played some really good cricket in India. We obviously missed out in winning the series on the la- in the last test. And, you know, we probably showed our worst batting display in the, the last second innings of the last test, so that was disappointing. But I think, as a group, we've come a long way uh, in the last 12 months. So, hopefully, um, in Bangladesh, the boys can... I guess, start the series well um, and get a bit of a role going, a bit of momentum in the subcontinent. Yeah, I think we've got, definitely got the squad to do it. Yeah, fingers crossed that they can you know, put a few good performances in um, when the Test Series starts. We didn't see it a lot over there, but well, do you think reverse swing will be a big factor in Bangladesh on those dry, abrasive wickets? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, apart from the ball turning a lot, it doesn't really move off the straight too much when the ball's new, so um, it'll be trying to get the ball going reverse as quickly as possible and um, you know, reverse swing with guys bowling over um, you know, 90 miles an hour. Um, it's going to be a handful in any condition. So the guys in the, uh, the fast bowlers in the squad are all you know, really good um, reverse swing bowlers. So the faster you can get the ball going reverse, um, you can have one fast bowler going at one end uh, and a spinner going at the other. So um, it's definitely going to be an important thing and like I said if you've got guys that can bowl over 90 miles an hour um, reverse swing is definitely a dangerous weapon to have up your sleeve While Australia 
will be playing the Tigers at international level soon. Jackson, you've been training with the Tasmanian Tigers this pre-season. Uh, before we get to that, the winter normally sees you over there in the UK playing county cricket. Why the decision not to go there again this year? Um, well, I played the last two seasons um, in county cricket. And it takes a bit of a, I suppose, toll on your body physically, playing cricket like that all year round. I haven't had a break in quite a while, so I thought it was probably best for me. Um, you know, I'm getting a little bit older now. I'm, you know, I'm just turned, well, I turned 30 about six months ago. So oh, please. Um, I suppose I've got <laughs> to think about, I guess, playing cricket in, in Australia is um, my main priority. So um, being fresh and ready to go for this summer, there's a lot of cricket on in the next sort of 12 months. Um, that I'd like to be available for. So um, I just thought it'd be the best thing to, I suppose, go home and um, have a few months of pre-season, although I'm regretting my decision now. Our pre-season's been pretty hard, so um, I'd probably prefer being over in England. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about that. You're under new coach Griffith. He's come from Western Australia. What's your day-to-day been like? I understand you went on a bit of a trek with him. Yeah, we did. Um, you know, he's probably... I think he's bought a few of the... Um, a few things over from Western Australia. Um, we're doing a lot more fitness this year, uh, a lot more running and stuff like that. Pre-season's been, you know, the fitness sessions have been a lot harder than what we've done in the past, which has been good. Um, and we also went on a four-day trek in the Tasmanian wilderness last week. So uh, it was a, a pretty good uh, experience for the players. It was pretty much player-driven. So um, everyone had to make own decisions about what they had to pack and what food they were going to eat, um, all that sort of stuff. So uh, everyone sort of had to fend for themselves a little bit, which was good. Uh, it was nice and cold and wet and um, windy and stuff down there at the uh, in the bottom of Tassie. So um, it was a good four days in nature. Um, I'm not really an outdoors type of person, so um, I was a bit out of my comfort zone. Um, no phones for four days as well, which was pretty tough for some of the boys, but you know, it gave us a good um, amount of time of... I started bonding with each other and the new guys that we didn't know. We got to know those guys pretty well. So, um, yeah, it was nice to nice to get back to Hobart, though, and have a hot shower. Or, you know, hot shower. No shower after three or four days was um, probably the worst thing about it. So, <laughs> but, yeah, it was, um, no, it was good to, I suppose, get around the boys and, um, yeah, do that kind of thing, which was new to most of us. So what did you pack? What was the food that you brought? Um... I didn't pack as much food as Jimmy Faulkner did. Um, <laughs> he seemed to have more food on the last day than I did on day one. So I think he ate um, four boxes of barbecue shapes on the trip. So he was um, eating healthy. But no, nah, just, um, yeah, we had to um, pack a lot of things like trail mixes and um, nuts and fruit and muesli bars and stuff like that. So, um we had three groups. Every group had to cook one night, so you had to divvy up the food for the for cooking for 25 people, which is good. So, um, yeah, it was a few kilos, which I probably needed to, which is good. So, um, but yeah, it was wasn't very um, the cuisine wasn't very gourmet. <laughs> One of those very dried meals, which were pretty gross. So hopefully, I don't have to eat those again. So. Which uh, which player, which teammate struggled the most without having their phone for four days? I think the first hour was probably the hardest, I think, um, not having your phone. And then after that, it wasn't too bad. Um, Matthew Wade couldn't last the four days without his phone, so he took it with him. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think 
after an hour, everyone sort of forgot about it, really, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, there's not much reception down there in that part of Tassie as well, so you probably wouldn't even be able to use it if you had it anyway. So, What else has Griffith brought to the, the Tigers in his short stint there so far? What kind of changes have you seen already? Griffo's a, a really good communicator, um, which is good. Um, yeah, I think he's came in and he's set, uh, set the bar with the standards that he wants. Um, and, yeah, he won't accept anything less. The fitness stuff has probably been the biggest change. I think, um, you know, we're a lot fitter than what we were last year. Um, but our skill sessions have been um, pretty specific and, um, you know, pretty contested sort of skill session, which have been good. Um, you know, we're still in the indoor centre down in Tassie because the weather's not great. But, um, yeah, all the all the skill sessions we've, we've been doing have been really competitive. Um but yeah, like I said, the fitness side of things has been, um, you know, kicked up another level, which um, I suppose tests a few of the guys' mental strength and that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, uh, looking forward to seeing, you know, what else he can uh, bring to the table. So he's definitely started off on a real positive note with the group. And he does quite a few of the fitness sessions with us as well. So um, that's, you know, good to see. And yeah, like I said, he's a, a really good communicator. So you know where you stand within the group and where you stand with um, going forward with selection and stuff like that. Yeah, we can't, the boys sort of can't really ask much more for more from Griffo um, from the start. Last year, you worked on shortening, shortening your run-up. Is there anything that you're concentrating on this winter? Oh, no, not really. I've been, I've been bowling for quite a bit now because um, obviously getting ready for the South African tour, um, which didn't go ahead. So um, I've just been, I suppose, trying to work on making my consistency a bit, I think. Um, you know, I only had a couple of weeks off bowling after the Indian tour. So, um, you know, I felt like I was bowling really well in in India, in the nets. So I just tried to, I suppose, pick up from where I left off. And, um, you know, everything's really feeling really, so I suppose, natural at the moment, which is good. So, um yeah, I'm looking forward to playing some competitive cricket, really. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the last time I haven't played cricket for this long when I've been um, fit. So, it's um, yeah, it's going to be good playing in the three-day next week and, you know, hopefully going to, going over to Bangladesh. But, yeah, I'm just trying to, I suppose, um, be as consistent as I can over the next couple of weeks. And, um, yeah, hopefully, like I said, the selection goes my way. What about your batting? Uh, what was made last year when you got overlooked... For Joe Many, when former chairman of selectors Rob Marsh said that it was your batting that yeah. cost you in, a, in the Test Eleven, have you been working on that? In all seriousness, yeah, no, I've uh, worked on. I worked pretty hard over obviously the period where Rob told me that it was my batting that I'd been dropped for. Um, you know, the feedback was pretty um, crystal clear there that I had to work on my batting. So, uh, to be honest, I didn't actually um, hit extra balls or anything like that. I just uh, made my training more specific and worked on a few things with um, with Dan Marsh first and then uh, with Graham Hick when I was back in the Australian side. So I think in India I improved my batting quite a lot, um, focused a lot on facing spin bowling, which is really good. Um, and yeah, just trying to, you know, bat for, face, you know, 25 to 30 balls um, every innings is um, definitely a focus for me this year. I think... Um, yeah, I thought I batted quite well in India, and my batting's improved, um, you know, out of sight, which is good. So, um, never used to like getting into the nets and, and batting. So now I'm enjoying every time I have a hit in the nets. And um, yeah, hopefully there's a few scores around the corner for me this year. Uh, we'll see how we go. 
Uh, we'll forget forget going for one of those fast bowling spots. Go for the number six spot. Be the all rounder. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice actually. Um, <laughs> but I don't quite think I've got that in me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to bowl and over to you now, Jackson. Are you ready? Yep. All right. First question: the biggest influence on your career and why? Who was the biggest influence on your career and why? Biggest influence. Definitely my parents, really. So um, if it wasn't my parents sitting me around to cricket as a youngster growing up, um, I definitely wouldn't have uh, been able to be in the position I am today. So forever grateful, I suppose, for them to you know take so much of their time and um, you know ship me around on Saturday and Sundays and all that sort of stuff to training during the week. So definitely my parents. Your best spell of bowling, and it doesn't matter what level it was at, just uh, which do you reckon your best spell of bowling has been? Um, I took 10 wickets in my second game for Tasmania against Victoria at the MCG and yeah to this day I still don't think I've bowled as well as that so unfortunately <laughs> what, about it? Now, but... what about it just did you, were you in the zone the whole day whole time uh, yeah no, the wicket was bouncy and fast and it had a little bit of grass on it so it obviously helped but um, yeah I was sort of new to first class cricket um, and I guess yeah, to take ten wickets in my second game, and I you know, got a few good players out: Cameron White and um, Dave Hussey and Chris Rogers, um, a couple of times. So um, yeah, that's still something I remember. But yeah, I scored two fivers at the MCG as well. Um, two fivers in the one game it was definitely something special. So the first game I played there. Name the rival bowler you enjoy watching the most. Rival bowler. Oh, I enjoyed watching um, when he was fit. Dale Stain, um, yeah, I really enjoyed watching him bowl. Um, yeah, bowled fast. He's aggressive. Um, swung the ball late. Good reverse swing. And you know, when he takes a wicket, he goes absolutely crazy. So, um, <laughs> yeah, he's definitely someone I enjoyed watching. And these days, I I like watching Vernon Philander bowl because he, you know, he's not express, but. Um, he still, you know, gets it done. Best slip catcher you've played with? Steve Smith. That's pretty self-explanatory. I think he's he's got a few on the highlights reel. Um, yeah, good set of hands. Um, bar probably an hour at Brisbane when he dropped a couple of catches in the day-night <laughs> test match. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he takes pretty much everything that comes his way. Who owns or who has owned the worst haircut in Australian cricket? Um, Adam Zampa by the Country Mile. In, or Adam Zampa, Adam Zampa in the Champions Trophy. Yeah, what was that look? How would you describe uh, that? Oh, it was probably Justin Timberlake in probably 2002, I think. <laughs> Back in the insect days. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and finally, yeah. uh, the best and worst Tigers teammates to room with. So it's kind of a cheat question. But to room with? Yeah, the best and worst. Best. Would probably have to be Jimmy Faulkner, just because oh, he can be pretty annoying sometimes. He's a great bloke, but um, yeah, spending you know a few hours on the trot with him, um, you know, he's pretty intense sort of guy. He's pretty <laughs> in your face all the time. So as much as I love him, so he's um, the worst. Sometimes he's definitely the worst. <laughs> he's got um, all the barbecue shapes, though. You'd never go hungry. Well, you can never get your hands on them. So. Uh, best Tigers roommate. I enjoy rooming with Tim Payne. Um, yeah, he's always good. Good person to room with. He's always good for a laugh. So, 
There it is, T-Pain. Jackson, thanks very much for coming on the show, pal. Really appreciate it. Good luck with selection of Bangladesh. And uh, if you make it, go well over there. And if not, uh, enjoy the fitness sessions with Griffo and the Tigers. (laughs) No worries. Thanks, mate. Cheers. To finish the show, I'm going to quickly knock off some top-order news, starting in London, where England beat South Africa by 239 runs at the Oval to take a 2-1 series lead. Ben Stokes was named man of the match for his brilliant 112 in the first innings, but it was England's dominance with the ball that delivered the crushing win. Debut on quick, Toby Rowland-Jones picked up eight wickets for the match, including five for 57 in South Africa's first innings, while Moen Ali claimed a hat-trick, can you believe it, the very first hat-trick in the 100-test plate at the Oval to seal the victory. Opener Dean Elgar was the standout for the visitors. He scored a gritty 136 in the fourth innings, but it just wasn't enough. The final test match of the series starts on Friday, August 4 at Old Trafford. Cricket.com.au will have the live scores, news and video of that fixture. To Sri Lanka, where India wrapped up a comprehensive 304-run win over the hosts in the first test in goal. India made an even 600 in their first innings, due in large to 190 from Shikha Darwin and 153 from Cheteshwar Pujara, while Nuan Pradeep, the quick, collected 6 for 132. In reply, Sri Lanka made 291, but India opted to bat again. Virat Kohli didn't waste the opportunity as he registered test match century number 17 with an unbeaten 103. Sri Lanka was set a mammoth 550 to win and were bowled out for 245 in 77 overs. To add injury to defeat, Asela Gunaratna suffered a broken thumb early in the match and has been ruled out of the series. Some good news for the Sri Lankans, however, with skipper Dinesh Chenamal back for the second test in Colombo, which started on Thursday. Live scores, news and video can be all found on cricket.com.au. And finally, the fixtures for the upcoming KFC Big Bash League and Rebel Women's Big Bash League were announced this week. BBL 07 kicks off on December 19 at Spotless Stadium with a Sydney smash between the Thunder and the Sixers and concludes with the final of both the BBL and WBBL on February 4. It's the biggest BBL ever with each team playing 10 games for the first time plus three finals, a grand total of 43 matches in seven weeks. But before the BBL begins, WBBL 03 starts on December 9 at North Sydney Oval between the Thunder and the Renegades. There will be 59 matches this season with each team playing their opponents twice. For the full list of fixtures of both the BBL and WBBL, head to bigbash.com.au. That's it for today's episode. We'll be back in a couple of weeks ahead of Australia's first test in Bangladesh. You can find the Unplayable podcast on Spotify, the Cricket Network and the Apple iTunes Store. We'd love to hear your feedback, so subscribe, rate and comment on the podcast. Until we speak again, head to cricket.com.au for all your cricket news, scores and video. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.